Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. Today, we're going to be looking at bereavement, grief, and the workplace. I'm Sandra Kushin. Bereavement and grief affect us all. Many of us will have lost colleagues, friends, and family during the COVID-19 pandemic, where nearly 15 million people have died. When we come to work, we bring our grief with us. What can workplaces do to support their staff? What can you and I do to help coworkers who are grieving? How can we help ourselves if we are going through our own loss and are struggling to cope in the workplace? To discuss this, I'm very happy to introduce our guest, Lizzie Pickering. Lizzie describes herself as a grief investigator. She's also a speaker and produces podcasts and films. Sadly, her eldest son, Harry, died in November 2000 when he was just six. In the years that followed, she began to use her personal and professional experience of navigating grief to offer grief guidance to companies. She does presentations, podcasts, writes grief guidelines, and gives one-to-one sessions to help people back to work following a bereavement. Her book, When Grief Equals Love, is due to be published in 2023 by Unbound Publishing. Lizzie, a very warm welcome. Thank you, Sandra. Lizzie, it's great to be able to have this conversation with you. And I think a lot of people will find it helpful because, well, grief can be difficult to talk about and perhaps even more so at work. So to start off with, could we explore what brought you to this grief guidance work? Thank you, Sandra. So 27 years ago now, uh, my son, Harry, my eldest son, was diagnosed with a genetic condition. And this was the first curveball that hit my family. At the time, I absolutely loved the work I was doing. I was working in TV production. I had a happy family life. And I'd moved out to the Cotswolds in England um, from London. And everything was going really well. And I think this will resonate for so many people. When a curveball hits you, it comes from nowhere and you have to really adapt to the change. So my my realization now is that my first grief was really on the diagnosis. It was that diagnosis um, that caused our lives to change. And really I was dealing with grief every day from that diagnosis. And then in the year 2000, Harry's health had deteriorated a lot. He was having a lot of lung issues and pneumonia that actually caused his death in November 2000. And although I suppose I thought I might have mentally tried to prepare for that, I don't think anything can prepare you for the loss of a child. But it's interesting, you know, when I say the loss of a child, I don't see grief as competitive. I think anyone's grief is whatever the worst thing is that's happened to them. And that worst thing happened to you. I'm really sorry, Lizzie, for your loss. And listening to your story, it's made me curious how your own experience of grief then translated into you wanting to help others with their grief and specifically in workplaces. Why workplaces? I ask because... I suspect some of our listeners may think of grief as a highly personal experience, you know, which it is, and that because of that, maybe it belongs maybe to a personal sphere rather than a professional one. It's a great question, Sandra. And I suppose I evolved into this work. It was sort of organic and incremental. 
in some ways. So when Harry died, he died at a children's hospice in Oxford called Helen and Douglas House, which was the first children's hospice in the world and offered the blueprint for, for children's hospices globally. And it was the most wonderful place. And they didn't have a fundraising team at the time when he died. And they ha they wanted to build a teenage hospice as well. So I co-founded the fundraising team there after Harry died. So by working at the children's hospice, I was connecting very strongly with Harry. We ran workshops. We did all sorts of work with the parents. And one of the things I started here through these sessions was what a lonely landscape it was for bereaved parents in the working world. How so many of them, we were from every walk of life at the hospice because there's no, you know, there's, you don't, it can happen to anybody at all. So most people, myself included, had to go back to work. We didn't have a choice. A lot of us had been carers for a long time. We'd lost income. We'd been on benefits to support our children. And we had to go back to work as all of that stripped away the minute your child dies. So not only are you in deep traumatic shock, but you've got to go back and, and work and often find work if you've been out of work for a while. So it's a very landscape and for me personally I knew I couldn't go back to TV production at that time I wanted to be connected to Harry so managing to work in the children's hospice was a real gift to me but people were saying to me you know they go back to work people don't know how to deal with them they don't know what to say there was silence and they'd gone back to work often as well as needing the, the, the money. They also wanted a sense of old normality from work, the familiarity if, you know, it was something they'd been able to carry on while looking after their child. And it offers structure as well. So there are many, many good things about going back to work. But then when you're faced with this loneliness, because no one knows what to say, we need to educate people more as to how to deal with bereaved or going back to work. And when I talk about bereavement and loss, I'm not always just talking about death because as I've evolved this work, I've realized that when I give a grief talk to a company, quite a lot of people find that the talk resonates for them over a diagnosis where your landscape has changed, where your work has changed, workplace change. It can be so devastating to maybe be sidelined by your company and feel that your work isn't being recognized. It can be devastating, of course, to lose your job. And many of us have experienced that over the years. And those things stay with you. And also divorce. Um, I find a lot of people come through to me for one-to-one -one sessions over divorce following a talk because it's another instance where your landscape has changed, your community might have changed, you might have had to move house, you may be estranged from your family for whatever reason. It's a huge loss and we need to address that in the workplace too. So I often talk about death, diagnosis, divorce and workplace change being forms of loss. So you, you saw that there was a real need, Lizzie, to help people in the workplace, to help them navigate their grief, and also that there was a role that employers could play to support their staff. 
What are things that you recommend companies do to help provide grief support to their employees? I'll often start maybe with either a member of the management team or the HR team talking to them about grief. And often that leads to giving a grief guidance talk that can be available to all staff. And of course, it's been really good with the advent of Zoom and Teams and all those good things and all the platforms that like we're using now that we can, we can um, spread the word further. And it also means that the talk can be recorded and kept on an intranet and accessible. So that can often provide part of a platform where grief is addressed on an intranet. And that's a good start. And those talks are educational. We talk about the physical aspects of grief, the path of grief being messy and ongoing for so many people and the advantages of it being addressed well. So that's often a start. And then from that, it's great to have very good grief guidelines set out wherever you like, you know, on the intranet for most companies that staff can visit individually and privately and personally, but access good resources. From that, we can signpost to whatever's on offer and provided by the company and also external resources because there are so many global good charities that have great resources depending on whether it's a cancer diagnosis, whether you've been through a stillbirth, whether you've suffered grief by suicide. There are so, so many different organizations. And and so it's very good to let people know of as many of those as possible through the company intranet. I've had one law firm in London who, one of their young lawyers who was bereaved through COVID, um, her father had died. She came to me and said, we'd like to set up a bereavement network within the company. And they now, in in the spirit of peer-to-peer support, run their own bereavement group. And they get together every couple of months, either now in person or online. And it's a wonderful forum. And sometimes, you know, they might have a podcast suggested so that people could just listen to a 20-minute podcast and that could be a discussion point or a TED talk or an article on grief and it gets the conversation going and then people share their stories. So that is a very simple and beautiful way that staff can support each other. You know, I've had clients in quite large companies who really have suffered loneliness and actually in the UK this week it's it's um, mental health awareness week and the theme is loneliness and you know it's a really important topic you know if you're constantly focusing on not crying not breaking down not having anywhere for an outlet at work because people either don't know what you've been through or they just don't know what to say That's what we need to prevent, you know, and by simply having a good grief guidance provision, it gives people a place to let out those feelings and to talk. And then they suffer less during the working day from that feeling that you've got to keep it all under wraps. It comes more naturally to be able to cope with it in a very healthy way rather than constantly striving to keep it all in. I want to pick up on what you said, Lizzie, about people not knowing what to say. I wonder if lots of people at work would like to show more support for a colleague who is going through a bereavement, but maybe they hold back because 
They don't want to say the wrong thing or they don't want to seem like they're intruding. But at the same time, they can see their colleague is struggling and they want to help. What suggestions would you have? I think the biggest thing is realizing that grief is ongoing and people have to learn to live with it at home and in the workplace. So keeping on checking in with a colleague is a really important thing. And sometimes the companies I work with will have a grief ally in the same way that we might have a mental health ally. And that's, you know, becoming more the norm in companies that, that there's a structure for that. I really encourage companies to do the same with grief and, you know, maybe under the mental health umbrella or through their grief guidance provision. And, you know, when somebody maybe goes through a major bereavement at work, talk to the team, talk about it and see who could be their grief ally. And then let them be the person to check in regularly with, with the person's permission. And then sometimes that offers the chance for that person to translate what's going on with permission and help people to understand because grief is messy. It's non-linear. It goes on. The deep traumatic shock can be way more than a year of grief. You know, I think there's this notion that maybe you're better off a year and you're not necessarily, you might, you might be feeling stronger, but you're not better now, you know, and you're not better after six weeks counseling that's often offered by companies. That's a wonderful provision to start you off, but then you've got to learn to live with it. And so somebody to check in with you um, is a really, really great thing. And also other staff to remember anniversaries, to remember birthdays, you know, whether that's the HR team or whether it's people personally just jotting down the anniversary of the death, the person's birthday. And, and just remember that and be, because I can't tell you as a bereaved mother, the people that for the last 21 years have checked in with me and sometimes sent a card on Harry's anniversary or his birthday. It's so special and it makes such a difference. And sometimes just receiving something like that from somebody who's thoughtful can make all the difference to just not holding that grief in, you know, and being able to live with it in a better way. So I would never hold back from the checking in and also recognizing that you may say to the brief person, in the first few months, you know, would you like to come for a drink? Shall we grab a coffee together? Would you like to talk? And they may not want to, they may simply not be able to in their state of deep traumatic shock. And it's enough for them to be balancing a heavy workload and family life and just simply the energy required to deal with their grief. But as time passes, they may want nothing more than to talk. But you as a colleague have given up because you felt rebuffed, you've taken it personally, and you've thought, well, I'll, I'll give up, you know, they, they don't want my help. Please never, never feel like that. You know, it is just grief changing. And so a year down the line, you may just getting together, and that's exactly what they feel like. So always check in and keep in touch, whether it's just by a text, a phone call, or whatever else. Hmm, how grief changes over time. I find that really interesting to think about, how grief can evolve and the kind of support someone needs can also evolve. It also makes me think about that expression, time heals all wounds. And that's a notion that I've wondered about. For you, Lizzie, is that the case? Have you seen that time heals the wounds of grief? 
it's a very difficult notion, time healing. And the way I personally like to think of it, but this is also informed from the many, many, many bereaved people that I've spoken to and listened to, I think it's more that we grow around our grief. It's always there. You know, I will always be Harry's mum. That has not changed. He died at six and a half, but I am still his mum. I still have three children. It's just that one of them isn't here physically. And that is so hard. And there's no way that I will ever get over that grief. There's not a hope at all of me getting over that or of time healing. And in some ways, this isn't a depressing thing, but time can make it harder. You know, as a mother, it's harder for me to say, I haven't seen my eldest for six weeks, particularly when he was six and a half. Then I haven't seen him for six months. Then it's six years. Now it's 21 years. That gets harder. Time doesn't heal that because it's unnatural as a mother not to see your child. But... What has become easy to deal with is that I live with it. It's always at the center of me, but I've become much better at living alongside it. And you touched on my book earlier. And it's interesting because in relation to this, the title of my book actually changed. And when I started writing it 21 years ago, I started writing diaries, never imagining I would publish them. They were really for my younger children so that they would know what they'd been through. And at that time, I called the book or or the diaries A Grief Endured because every day felt like endurance. I didn't feel like I was living. But 21 years on, now I'm publishing it and I've interviewed 23 other people about their long-term perspectives of living with loss because I hope that will help others. I've called it When Grief Equals Love. And in answer to your question, that's my perspective I've gained over 21 years, very gradually and incrementally, is that if I can frame the pain that I still live with as representing my love for my son, then it really, really helps me to cope with it. So I wouldn't say time has healed, but time has given me a very gradual and different perspective. That's a wonderful way to frame grief, Lizzie. I imagine that perspective has helped a lot of the people you work with, although I'm guessing it may take some time to see it that way. Um, And that's what I'd like to get to now. We've talked about what employers can do to help, what coworkers can do to help, but ultimately someone's grief is their grief. It's resting on their shoulders and they're the ones dealing directly with it. For people who are returning to work and finding it difficult to cope, what kind of advice do you give? It's a tough one and I really feel anyone going through grief and and starting out back at work, you know, and, and dealing in those early years. There are many ways though, and I know we hear so much about self care, but it is so important in grief and my dealing with my grief is much better when I have a bit of a grief toolkit to to dip into. And I think over the years and through work I have realized how to manage my grief and that's what we need to do in going back to work. So a few of the things that have helped me and that I now talk about to my grief clients, many of whom have very, very heavy workloads, 
it's so ironic that when somebody dies or when we go through a traumatic experience, we the bereaved breathing properly. And then oxygen, we're starving our vital organs of oxygen. So the very first primary thing is to remind people to breathe properly. And personally, I do that through meditation, using very short meditation apps. Even 10 minutes can help. And also yoga. I now do yoga every morning in pajamas before I start my working day. And if my working day is starting mega early, I just do 10 minutes. <laughs> and even that helps set me up for the day at a very, very cellular level and particularly regarding the breathing. So that's been a huge thing for me. And for someone else, it might be running, it might be just doing some exercise of any sort. There are so many ways that we can help ourselves, but it's setting ourselves up for the day with a focus, whatever that is for you. I've found reading personally has me enormously. And if people don't feel like reading in a deep grief, then, then there are so many listening platforms now. There are so many good podcasts on grief. And so however you like to access your learning, I do think the sharing of stories is important and we can learn enormously from each other. The tips of what's helped people, you know, the, the ways they've moved forward and particularly reading about people who have survived grief well and healthily can be very inspirational and offer help to somebody who's in deep grief. My other thing that has really massively helped me is music festivals. I absolutely love music festivals. And for me, being with good friends in a field, listening to music where I can laugh and cry and be open and just, you know, experience life as it is now without my son. But I would say 21 years on, I lead a happy life, but it's taken a lot of work to get there. And so I do believe that we must never leave grief untapped in decades ago. And I think we've suffered the ripple effects of that. There was that expression, don't mention the war. It was globally, it was a don't ask questions, don't talk about what you've witnessed. And there was this sort of silence. And I think in recent years, we've been trying to unpick that silence and I suppose the work I'm doing in the workplace is trying to do that. You know, a lot of companies feel they'll be opening a can of worms if they open the lid on grief for colleagues. You know, as you touched on earlier, is it a personal thing? Should it be aired in the workplace? Well, yes, it should, because we work so many hours. We spend so much time at work. We're close to colleagues, hopefully. So it shouldn't be the last taboo of mental health. It should be something we talk about so on on your last question the other thing that's immensely helpful is looking up resources there are so many good charities that share good resources and good written materials on different forms of grief I really would search those out because they can help and they can off also offer you a way of talking to your colleagues and talking to your friends and family you know if there's something you've found useful then share it with people, you know, just send an email around or a what's on a WhatsApp group saying, I've just found this article really helpful and it sums up where I am with my grief now. I thought it would be interesting for you to read it. If you feel up to it, 
try and share some of the things that have helped you. And not only will they help other people, but it will help you to be understood. So there you've described a situation where a person feels heard and they feel like they're in a supportive environment at work where they can share their feelings. But I imagine you've come across workplaces where this just isn't the case. What's the impact of a workplace that addresses grief well, as opposed to one that doesn't? If it's addressed well, people will stay at work. If it's not addressed well, they will leave. They will leave for a company where nobody knows what's happened and make a fresh start. And so if it's not addressed well, companies will lose their really good staff purely because they've been through a terrible life change, through bereavement or loss of some sort. And that is a crying shame <laughs> to lose your people who form your work community because they haven't supported and they felt that loneliness. So when addressed well, there's an incredible loyalty to the company because you feel so well supported and so grateful for that support. There's an openness. And personally, I mean, many people say to me, isn't your work depressing? Talking about death every day and listening to people's stories in one-to-one sessions. And honestly, I can say, I find it so life enhancing and uplifting because I think when we come together in grief and when we support each other at work or at home, we witness such courage. I witness such courage and the strength of human nature in all of my clients and all the people that I've walked beside and who have walked beside me. And that as the basis for a working community is so strong. I think when we walk beside people who are grieving, we learn about life. Because one of the greatest shifts that I try and make with my clients is to say, we can't change what's gone before. I cannot change what happened to my son. It was out of my control. But what I can change is how I deal with it and how I go forward in honor of his memory. You know, my son lost his life, but I'm here and so are my other children. And we live in a positive way in honor of him. We live for him and still alongside him in many ways. He's so much part of our family. And if we can do that in the workplace, what a powerful thing that is going to be. And I, I think Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand Prime Minister, summed it up so beautifully when she said words to the effect of, we cannot know your pain, but we will walk beside you every step of the way. You know, it's so important not to placate people who are going through grief because there is no cure for it. There's no getting better from it. But if we can support them well in the workplace to feel secure and safe in their grief and that they can share it in a healthy way, the workplace will be a better place. Thank you so much, Lizzie, for speaking with me today about bereavement, grief, and the workplace. None of us are immune to loss and vulnerability. And you know, it seems to me that workplaces, employers, and workers alike can all benefit from the ideas you've shared. So thank you very much. Thank you, Sandra. To you, our listeners, I hope you found this discussion helpful. Our guest today was grief investigator Lizzie Pickering. Finally, if you want to know more about her work or more about the future of work, please visit our website at voices.ilo.org for more interviews and stories like this one. 
That's it from us today on the ILO's Future of Work podcast. Please join us again for our next episode. Mm-hmm.